Hey, hey, Nick, it's Brett. Um, so checking in on the upcoming show, we had talked about a few ideas. Uh, I know we want one more week on the Cura episode to compile things, so I'm not sure where I'm leaning this week. Definitely a few things that have gotten under my skin, but they feel more like rants rather than whole episodes. We had talked about using the interview you did with the triathlete and the cancer survivor. Um, let me know if you're still up for that. I'd be interested in giving it a listen and seeing what comes up for me. Yeah, okay. Well, so that interview is with Terry Grieg. Um, she's a motivational speaker, a triathlete, uh, a cancer survivor. She's battled with alcoholism. And, you know, she's famous. She was featured as one of those inspirational athletes with um, the Ironman triathlon because she was diagnosed with stage four colorectal cancer um, and then competed in this race. So that's all in the interview. And uh, I think it's interesting because it's from my old show, and we really get into some things, and just her her humanity and her ability to place herself within this larger message, this larger meaning, like what her story means to other people, I think is really interesting. And uh, I think there might be something there for us. So I'll send that to you, and we'll just go from there. Cool. All right, so then you go to the credits. Welcome to Where There's Smoke, the show where we explore self-development through the lens of current events, sports, and pop culture. You'll talk about whatever the first act is. Then the second act will be Terry Grieg, athlete, speaker, cancer survivor. And then we're also going to hear from a fan in Egypt. So all those things, you'll say you're, you're our host, Brett Gaida, and then we're off. Hey, man. Um, okay, so I listened to the interview, and I think there's a lot of great stuff there. It's, it's actually really interesting to hear her talk about how she experienced all this, you know, whether that be your question to her about facing her own mortality or when she speaks about, you know, doing talks around her cancer journey when she's really more proud of being sober for 21 years. I mean, even getting the, talking about getting the word out or how people don't want to talk about this particular type of cancer it actually really made me think about this idea of how we take moments that happen and we create meaning from them, right? I mean, we have to. These things happen in our life, and in order to move forward, we give them some sort of meaning. We say, okay, this means this. And I thought maybe I could share a story that I think really speaks to this. It's something that I used to share a lot when I spoke, but I haven't actually told this story in years. Um Anyway, I'm going to tell you here because I'm going to crash out, and I just thought maybe you could listen to it, and then you can call me back later and let me know if you think it would be a fit for the for the show. So when I was in first grade, um, I brought a stuffed monkey to school. His name was Scamp, and uh, my grandma gave him to me. And I, I don't remember how old you are in first grade, but I was clearly older than some people thought someone would be who would bring a stuffed monkey to school. And, Anyways, I um, the way that my school was set up, we all played in the same big schoolyard, and during recess, it was divided. One side was everyone that was grades one to three, and the other side was everyone that was grades four to six, and there was actually this set of soccer goalposts that were, like, right in the middle, and that was the line. So if you were, like, grade three or lower, you did not cross that line, right? So I had scamp, and at one point during recess, some of the big kids came over and they started making fun of me, and they took them. And I told them to give them back, and they basically started playing monkey in the middle with me. They were throwing them back and forth and over my head and not letting me get them. And 
one of the kids eventually took off and ran back to the other side of the of the yard where the big kids were and I ran after him I remember just running like past the goalposts and I was freaking out and I was crying and I, I just I didn't care and I, I almost remember feeling this gasp you know when I ran into the big kids area but I chased them and eventually I got my hands on Scamp and I wrestled them back and they were fighting me and I was pulling for him and but eventually I got him back and I, I tore him away from them and I went back to the other side of the yard. But you know, he wasn't in, in very good shape. So there I was standing there in back in my side of the yard and looking down at him in my hands and I was crying and he was in shreds and his head was ripped off, his arm was hanging off, there were holes, stuffing was everywhere and I was... I was just devastated. And out of that moment, I, I created this meaning for that event. I, I, I decided that there was a price you paid for being yourself, that you put yourself out there and you're going to get hurt. You know, you'll get shredded. You can't just show up as who you are and expect people to accept you. So you need to protect yourself, you know, hold yourself back. And those meanings, they became my truth, you know, all based on that one moment, that one event. But it's interesting about that event, Nick, because years later, in my mid-30s, I remembered the rest of the story. And the story didn't end with me crying, but, but I had completely forgotten it. What happened next was that as I stood there looking down at Scamp, torn to shreds, my neighbor came over from the big side of the yard. And she was probably three or four years older than me. And though she was my neighbor, I mean, I barely knew her. And she she kneeled down and she put her hands over mine that were holding scamp. And she told me she was going to fix them. And she took them. And the next day she brought him back to school, all sewed up. She sewed his head back on. She put all the stuffing back in. She sewed up the holes. I I, I still have him. He's he's in Rad's room right now. And you can. And you could see, like, the gnarly scar where his head is sewn back on. And so what's crazy is that the story didn't have to be about not being myself, you know, about being afraid or getting shredded. I mean, it was about being open and getting hurt, sure. But it was also about the compassion of strangers, that there are people that have your back and want you to be exactly who you are. But, but that's not the story I made up. You know, and as a matter of fact, I actually forgot that part of the story for almost 25 years. So it's just interesting how we create our own experience. You know, the woman in the interview decided what cancer meant to her. And because of that, she kept competing. And how she said she lives outside of the storyline that she could die any day. And meanwhile, others create their own story of what her cancer means to them, right? And because of that, they praise her for what she's done, even though to her, she's just doing what anyone in her situation would do. Just keep living, persevere, keep moving. Anyways, it's, yeah, it's interesting. I think it'd be cool. Hi guys, this is Dina Solomon talking to you from Egypt. Nick and Brett told me that I was the first person from outside of North America to reach out to them after the last show. 
I discovered the show through a recommendation on my podcast, Addict App, and figured I'd give it a try. I listened to the Once Was Lost episode, and I was absolutely blown away by the fact that other people out there actually related to the songs the way I did. And the episode helped me to try to explore my own feelings and how to translate them in relation to those songs that have affected me over the years. I can't wait to hear more of their shows. Nick and Brett also asked me to give a shout out to a few other people who reached out from around the world in all different channels. So, thank you to Ruth Busum Twi in Germany for your email. Raymond Qatar in Australia who sent a tweet saying, Coming at you from down under. Love the podcast. Always fun hanging out with you guys. And I'm going to leave the bad Australian accent to Nick. Jason Richter in Medellin, Colombia sent Brett a WhatsApp message. And Aaron in Switzerland left a voicemail on the website. Hey guys, Aaron here. I'm originally from the US, but now I live in Switzerland. And I moved here about six months ago and discovered your podcast when I was really struggling with the transition and adjusting to a new way of life here in Europe. So just wanted to say thanks for what you're doing. Love it. Uh, Keep doing what you're doing. Really enjoy the topics. And uh, it's really helping me here in my adjustment of European life. Brett and Nick so appreciate all the messages. They are so much more fun to listen to than the sounds of crickets. And they invite you and others outside and inside North America to reach out to them. They would love to hear what you think of their show. And that's it. Have a great day. This is Dina signing off in Egypt. So I love your story. I think it will fit like really well with the rest of the show that we're outlining. Um, I really like how it highlights how we invent meanings um, from our experiences and that those meanings, we sort of take them with us and they have a really profound impact on what we do in the future. Like we will take meaning from something and say, well, that's what I did. That's what that means. So um, we'll use that. We'll record it. We'll put some of our where there's smoke magic on it. Then we'll play that voicemail from Dina in Egypt, uh, and it's always great to hear from listeners. That will be our mid-roll. And then we'll go into the Terry Greek segment. So I'll have to explain to the listeners that this is just an excerpt from a slightly longer interview that I did in my old show, which is called One Degree of Separation. And I think it's important to tell them that that show was originally designed to help me make sense of my next steps. So anybody who heard the Once Was Lost episode, they kind of got a sense of where I was. And so I should also tell the listeners that if they want to hear the entire interview, we'll put a link in the show notes, or they can just look up One Degree of Separation and listen to episode four, wherever they hear podcasts. Anyway, at the same time, I'll just grab some audio from that original show explaining Terry's situation and why we're talking to her. Her story, just in short, the shortest way possible, is that she was diagnosed with stage four colorectal cancer, which gave her a 6% survival rate at, at five years. And despite the diagnosis, she continues to train for and participates and competes in the Ironman Triathlon World Championships in Hawaii. And just in case you've forgotten, then Ironman is a 2.4-mile swim, immediately followed by a 112-mile bike ride, immediately followed by a marathon, which is 26.2 miles. So to do it without undergoing chemotherapy is already impressive. But adding to that, her battle with 
stage four colorectal cancer. And you can see sort of where the inspiration comes from and why she might be interesting to talk to. To save even more time, uh, I'm going to skip sort of the description of what happened to Terry and how she discovered the cancer and just sort of go to what she's learned and what she's taken from it. But it's important to know that Terry was just a few minutes shy of qualifying for the world championships the previous year before her diagnosis. But then as she was training the next year, she started to experience some unpleasant symptoms. She wasn't recovering as quickly from the split injury. Uh, she was bleeding when she went to the bathroom. And so after the race in Louisville, she went to the doctor and was shocked to find out that not only did she have cancer, but that it was stage four colon cancer. So we'll skip all that. That's very important to the story, and you can hear it on the original podcast. But we'll pick up the conversation with Terry and I. Uh, we'll, we'll pick it up where we're discussing her treatment. You got the diagnosis, and then you did chemo. Uh-huh. And then surgery? I did. So I was diagnosed, and I had um, radiation. Mm-hmm. short course radiation and then i did five rounds of chemo to shrink the tumors as much as they could mm-hmm. which then allowed for a colon and liver resection and then i finished up with seven more rounds of the big chemo and at that time my scans were clean but my tumor marker levels had never gone back to normal which meant i still had metastatic cells floating <laughs> throughout my body so then so i went Right after I finished the twelfth round, then I went started on maintenance chemo and scans, which everything stayed good until about this time last year we started watching some spots on my lungs and then October of thirteen I had the lung surgery and um and back you know, have been on the maintenance chemo the the entire time. So it's kinda like being on weed but gone. I mean, that's the way I, or Roundup, you know? That's, that's one way of, of putting it. Yeah. What does it mean to train for a triathlon and also to receive treatment for for colon cancer? When I was diagnosed, it was two weeks after I had finished an Ironman. Mm-hmm. And so, fortunately, my medical team, especially my oncologist, never said, don't. You know, don't run, don't bike, don't swim. He just said, do do what you feel capable of doing and and i mean i far exceeded anything he ever dreamt i would do well, I mean. um and so you know i was in really You're in good shape a good shape yeah. and i and i never gave that up even mm-hmm. i mean when through all the initial treatments except for surgery of course i, I had to post-op but um so i didn't really know any different i mean i just kept i probably today it's much it's much different for me. I mean, I've been at this for four and a half years now, so I don't have, um, I continue to get a little slower and, and, and humbled, but I, I'm okay with that. I mean, it's to be expected. I've lost part of my colon and 70% of my liver and Ugh. now, you know, both bilateral lung resections in October. And so, you know, physically, I'm, I'm challenged a little bit anyway. And so, again, the medical team never said don't. And mm-hmm. they've always been extremely supportive. And so, and so I feel fortunate in that sense. It's all about saving lives, right? Mm-hmm. It's all about talking about the one cancer nobody wants to talk about. Do you feel that, do you feel that, that's, that that's true for colon cancer? Oh, absolutely. Really? Oh, absolutely. Because Just- it's, it's actually colorectal cancer. Hmm. Seeing nobody... I mean, just to say the word, nobody really wants to talk about 
you know, their poop or, you mm-hmm. know, if you have blood. I mean, it's, it's, it's embarrassing. If you were to talk to Terry of 30 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> and, and say, hey, P.S., here's some stuff you should probably know. Uh-huh. What, w- what would you say? Probably one of the most precious nuggets that I would want to give to anybody, mm-hmm. especially my children. And I always say it would be so cool if we could just put this in a little box as a present and hand it to you and say, you know what? Um, like for me to give it to you, you're, you're really okay. It's all going to be okay. You're everything, everything that you need, you have. And, and life is going to be good. Just trust and keep moving. Hmm. That you're really, you really, as a person, you're really okay. And I think I, because I struggled with that. And it took me a lot of years of unrest and uneasiness and struggling to finally come to that thing like, you know what? I really am enough. Who I am is enough. Hmm. And, and to just, you know, figure out and utilize, you know, really what is good. And I, I think, cause people just, I think they're, we're, we're our own worst enemies. We're really hard on ourselves. Well, and you don't know me, but that is my entire problem. Okay. <laughs> well, so here's the box. No, Take I appreciate it. I wish yeah, there, there was a go. box. There you go. <laughs> now, for you, you said you had struggled to find, to understand that, you know, you're enough. You know, is that, I think that's how you put mm-hmm. it. That mm-hmm. it's going to be okay. You're, you're enough. What was that journey like? Um, and, you know, to, to, to understand that. Because I think that a lot of people conceptually understand that you know i could write that on a piece of paper mm-hmm. i'm enough mm-hmm. <laughs> but understanding it in here is a very different process mm-hmm. i mean does that question make sense is, would, is there a journey that well, you went through you, there is so i um i'm actually a recovering alcoholic hmm. so i have i celebrated 21 years of continuous sobriety congratulations a couple weeks ago but it took me a number of years to get to that 21 years ago. Well, so uh, yeah. it took it, it took a lot a lot of struggle, a lot of pain, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of hurt. And so that's where that journey comes in about yes, I really am okay. And I think a lot of it has to deal with um in AA or 12 step program, there there are the 12 steps and it's really an outline of living. And that's one of the gifts that I received from working the 12 steps and then living them on a daily basis. And some of that is one, you know, admitting who you are and two, accepting who you are. Mm-hmm. And then three, finding your higher power, your spiritual source or whatever's going to feed your soul. And and then I think you do get to that point where like you're, it's all really okay. You're okay. I'm okay. The world's going to be okay. <laughs> but, but it's based it's it's a daily reprieve. I mean, it's something you have to work on every day. Would you have ever, you know, 21 years ago, would you have ever expected you to be sitting here now having no. lived the life that you've... You know, here's the irony, okay? 21 years ago and whatever, I got sober the first time at age 18 and was sober for five years. I mean, I identified with... I think a lot of adolescents, teenagers, young adults have that kind of identity crisis, that confusion, that what do I want to be when I grow up? All those kind of, mm-hmm. that pressure. At that point, I thought, well, I I just felt like I was going to end up sharing my story maybe at high school or colleges or, 
and help kids be set on mm-hmm. a, a better path or let them understand that they're maybe what thoughts they were having were not really any different than a lot of people. But that didn't happen. And so ironically, I feel like <laughs> it's this second journey of cancer where this has happened. But so anyway, I mean, now I'm here today. I, I, I guess I was going to say, ironically, I get up on the stage and I share my cancer journey. And I come home and I tell my husband, you know, um, I'm really more proud of walking through 21 years and staying sober than maybe these last, you know, four and a half years of, mm-hmm. of this cancer journey. I think they're both very important, yeah. uh, but in different, but, you know, th- that's something to really be proud of too. Obviously, when confronted with stage four cancer, uh, I mean, you have. To, I would imagine that there's a sense of, you know, placing yourself in this larger, confronting this larger realization that this may not work out. And yep. of course, you live in, in uh, I don't know, probably not in fear, but in the back of your mind, you have to say that, like, well, this next test may not be the good news that I'm, yeah, I'm wanting. Yep. I mean, what what is it like, and and maybe how is your faith? So how was that intersecting sort of what I would call staring out into the into the void, which is something that I've never had to do. And and thankfully up to this point, I've, I've never really confronted from a close family member. And and, and so I haven't seen it uh, mm-hmm. up, up mm-hmm. close in a way. I mean, but but I mean, what, what, how would... Well, I, I'd answer that in a couple of different ways. Because sometimes I think I, I live kind of outside of that whole story. So there's maybe some piece of denial to it. Like, this really isn't happening, but even though it's happening and you and I are sitting here talking about all of this, it it still is like, well, that must kind of be another life. Yeah, it's conceptual. It's, yeah. So that's that's kind of, I think, one one way that I deal with it. Another way is um, I, I am, I do have a very strong faith. So I would be lying if I said there weren't days that... I, I did have some fear mm-hmm. or doubt, um, but most of the time not. Somebody told me once that uh, they asked me really straight on, what good comes from looking at the future and wondering, you know, if, if you will die or what will happen or how soon? Like, is there any good that can come out of those thoughts and that role play, really? And I'm like, no, no. And she said, well, then don't, don't go there. Don't do it. Don't spin your wheels. Think of some way to shut that off. I'm like, well, you know, you just don't shut that off, right? I mean, especially you wake up in the middle of the night and you're like, you know, you, and the wheels start spinning. But so I like do multiplication tables in my brain or (laughs) I bake cookies or I do something that is just, you know, a process, a step, step, step that I have to keep myself focused on so, so I don't go. Like train for a triathlon. <laughs> well, sometimes I'll redo the course. I'll, I'll re-ride the Louisville bike course. Mm-hmm. And that'll take my mind because there is no good that comes from. And the reality really is, um, you know, there's no guarantee you'll get home mm-hmm. safe tonight. There's no, none of us are guaranteed a tomorrow right and if you look at it that way then that kind of levels the playing field and 
So those are those are some of the tricks, <laughs> you know, that I, well, it's, it's I uh, coping mechanisms that yeah. I use. All right. So I listened again. I think that we stopped the interview right after she talks about some of the coping mechanisms she used around not getting caught up in overthinking the future. There's definitely so much in the interview that speaks to the idea of how meaning and the stories we tell ourselves you know, really shape our lives, from whether it's talking about how we feel that we're not enough to how we respond to adversity in our lives to how we look to the future and live or don't you know, live in the moments. I actually might even bring up our moments episode here, you know, talking about Daniel Kahneman's idea of our two selves, uh, the experiencing self who lives in the present, and the remembering self who records the story of our life, because I think there might be something in that. You know, there's that saying that uh, life is a series of moments, but it seems like it might also be a series of meanings, and that those meanings actually color each moment. You know, so maybe the experiencing self is really just the remembering self doing something new or certainly they feed each other in some way so i'm not totally sure where i want to go with that but it's worth noting how much meaning has played a role in terry's journey through her cancer and her belief that you know we just need to keep moving that life is going to be good that might have saved her and it's a belief she likely strengthened in competing in triathlons so you know even that i mean those experiences prior to her cancer diagnosis prepared her in a way there's, there's definitely something there. And I think we end the show on her, you know, going back to the interview for her definition of success, which not only do I love it, but I also think it really strongly aligns with one of the main messages of our show. How would you define success? Oh, that's a tough one. <laughs> okay. It's very simple. Success is when you fall down and you get back up. Hmm. And you fall down and you get back up. And you fall down and you get back up. Do you feel like you're successful? Uh, So far, most of the time. But I don't always get back up by myself. And I think that's something that... um, And most of the time I don't. I mean, I have people around me, right? That Mm -hmm. love me and care for me and help me get back up. Okay, credits. I definitely want to mention Terry Griegs, Powered by Hope Foundation. She's doing amazing work there. The website is poweredbyhope.org. Oh, and her book. I got to mention her book, also called Powered by Hope. And definitely encourage people to check all that out. Uh, iTunes reviews. Oh, man. The titles of these reviews are awesome. A little bit of home away from home. Gateway drug to an awesome life. Addicted. Hmm, I sense a theme here. Uh, we'll grab a few quotes. My growth capacity is continually expanded after each episode. I feel a focused energy inside. I haven't stopped sharing where there's smoke and don't see that ending. Nice. Uh, just start with one and you'll be addicted with me. Sweet. Oh, wow. Guess who just revived my passion for music? Where There's Smoke is a, is a really go-to podcast filled with serious stuff about life and way too much fun stuff. I love that. All right, we got to do some Twitter shout-outs. Who was rocking with us on Twitter this week? Uh, Sahare. Oh, a couple of awesome staples. Ty Harmon, always out there fighting the good fight for us. Jeremy Paris, appreciate both those dudes. Oh, I definitely got to mention um, Ken Paul. 
Ken Paul is officially our first submitted piece for the 42 project. He is piece number one of 42, and that is what he will always be. Very cool. We're going to be sharing that online soon, which is going to be awesome. Um, as always, I will thank everyone who spread the word about the show. Man, our listeners rock. Seriously. Like, period. Our listeners rock. End of story. I wish I, wish I could find better words to tell them how much they rock. But for now, I will just say something like, You rock! Because they do. Uh, let's see, I gotta give out my Twitter, at Brett Guida, Nick's Twitter, at Podcast Monster, mention our fan book, our Facebook fan page. Oh man, we're almost to 500 likes on our page, so I definitely want people to go there. We just, we just want to be liked, that's all we want. Uh, details for our mailing list, you can text the word SMOKE to 66866, or you can go to our website, wherethersmoke.co. Uh, then I'll do my whole where there's smoke is blah, 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 blah. I'll insert a bunch of cool verbs and that's somehow linked to the theme of the show by me, Brett Guida, Nick Jaworski. I'll talk about podcastmonster.com for all your make my podcast awesome needs. I will let people know that I'm available for talks and trainings and coaching and consulting, whatever they need. They can email me at connect at where there's smoke.co. Music, I got to make sure I get that in. Obviously, theme song, Des McKinney. Additional music this week. Let's see. We did, we had Lee... Uh, Lee Rose Vare, Satellite Ensemble, Poddington Bear, and Sealander. Is that it? Oh, man. <laughs> no, Kevin McLeod. Oh, this is kind of sad. This is the first episode that he has not been in. His streak ends at 27 episodes. I feel like we should have a moment of silence or something. He, I mean, he is the one guy besides Nick and I that's been here since day one, episode one, man. Or, oh, maybe we should do like a... A 27-gun salute. That would be cool. Okay, I gotta think about that a little bit more. But we definitely gotta do something cool for Kevin. Because he, Kevin McLeod, he's our man. He's been there. Uh, Figure out the clip of the week. And then we will end the show with some super funny, quirky, funny clip. That is often one of the funniest moments in the show. Even though most listeners don't really hear it. Because they probably skip to the end of the credits. It's the first season of Lost on DVD. That's the meaning of Christmas? No, it's a metaphor. It represents lack of payoff. I get it. The meaning of Christmas is... the idea that Christmas has meaning. And it can mean whatever we want. For me, it used to mean being with my mom. Now it means being with you guys. Thanks, Lost. And then I will close with something like, Hey, thanks for listening. We love you. We'll see you next week. And we're done. Cool. Okay, so... We got act, we got the intro, we got act one, uh, interview, shout outs, credits. That's it, man. We're ready to roll. All right. Well, I say we, uh, I say we record this puppy. All right. Let me just, uh, turn the mic on. The switch is right here.